All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. I'm Travis Flock, again, joined today by Travis Tyler and Ola. And today we come back after sort of a, a break from the podcast. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, suffered a, a loss in my family. My, my father passed away. So uh, I'd like to dedicate this return to the podcast to him as, and, you know, and all his life was. So, um, and it's going to be nice coming back, guys. Appreciate the uh, patience with everything, but it's nice to come back and uh, start talking shells with you guys again. Um, and boy, since we last recorded about a month ago, uh, things have drastically changed surrounding the club. So a lot of what, you know, we recorded a state of the club episode not that long ago. Um, and we were pretty much saying, which will we want, the Premier League or the Champions League? It's going to be so great. You know, it's, we're, we're, un, we're unbeatable. Uh, and it's just changed so quickly. Results, performances, the overall opinion, you know, opinions in fan in the fan base and what's going on, the overall mood and tone and culture of everything are surrounding the club, just starting to become a little bit more ominous and mysterious right now, especially in light of the recent news yesterday with Romelu Lukaku. Um, if you have been living under a rock in the Chelsea fan base which probably might actually be the better thing to do right now for your own sake. Uh, you have noticed that there is an interview that Romelu Lukaku had with Fabrizio Romano. And it happened, uh, I think it was right before, right after the Man United game is when it actually was taking place and recorded. And that has been sat on now and it was finally released. And, it, you know, I understand it takes some time or maybe it wasn't the right moment, but it has finally been released. and. The interview itself is very um, on its own, on its surface. There's not a whole lot there, but there is a whole lot there. The context so many times explains the harshness of the comment, but then it turns around to be this very harsh, you know, opining comment for Inter, spitting in the face sort of of how sort of many Chelsea fans feel for Romelu Lukaku coming to Chelsea where he's barely been at the club. He started to get his feet under him. He got injured. He got COVID. And now he's saying these kinds of things. So there's, there's a lot of fans bristling at this right now. Um, and rightly so, uh, or maybe even wrongly so in some areas, it's a very complicated one to sort out when you read all of what's actually going on in that interview. So without any further talking by me, I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time now getting into this Lukaku debate because there are people on some sides of the fence saying that he needs to be sold immediately. So he could be sold tomorrow morning. Uh, it's January 1st tomorrow morning as, as well in my time zone. Um, or he could be, uh, he could be retained. He could be punished internally. Uh, you know, that he could be used uh, as a moment here to kick on. So I want to start getting your guys' thoughts on this. We'll just open up first. 
What were your initial thoughts on the interview itself? And how did that, how does that change now over time with the information and full context that's come out? All right. I have a lot of thoughts about this. So if I need to be put on a timer, put me on a timer, but I don't care about the interview. I really don't like all these people saying he should be punished or sold. Like at some level, you can only say that if you're being completely hypocritical, you know, how often does Giorgino or his agent talk about going back to Italy? You think his, his agents talking about going back to Italy without Giorgino sanctioning it? Nah. How many times have we heard Eden Hazard talk about going to Real Madrid? He wore a PSG jersey in an interview after they knocked us out of the Champions League. Diego Costa, in the middle of a title challenge, wanted to go to China. To China. And six months later, when Antonio Conte says, yeah, man, you can leave, he blames Conte. Like, I remember Drogba talking about how he would like to play elsewhere. I remember Lampard talking about how he would like a challenge elsewhere. I remember Lampard saying he would never play for another Premier League club, and then he did. Like, let's be realistic here. You cannot be truly angry at Lukaku and saying things like he needs to be punished he, he needs to be sold if you're not being a complete hypocrite about it. Now, the interview itself is stupid. He shouldn't have done it. This is why people have agents. You have your agent there to tell you, hey, man, this is stupid. Don't do it. He didn't do that. He just went straight to the journalist. That was a bad idea. But for whatever reason, he's got in his head that he needs to please everybody. And in trying to please everybody, he's pleased no one. So, I mean, I think most of the quotes are much more innocent than people are making them out to be. I think people have read the quotes, they've decided they wanted an excuse to be mad, and they've just run with it. Even though the initial quotes were completely chopped up, they were missing sentences that completely changed the meaning, but they've just latched onto that anger and they've gone with it. You know, when Lukaku says, you know, I wanted to play for Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, he's not saying he picked us last. He's saying Chelsea wasn't an option he saw coming, and when we were an option, he took it. Like, yeah, there were other things going on at Inter, and Inter had to sell him, and we took advantage of that opportunity, but we don't need to make this in, out to something that it's not. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel handled it, handled it really well in the press conference by basically saying, like, I don't see this day-to-day. -day. I don't see this anger day-to-day, -day. and that's – we have to remember that this interview was done three weeks ago when Lokaku was fit but not playing. And, yeah, he would have been unhappy back then, but he's not saying, like, hey, Tuchel's wrong. He's saying Tuchel's the boss. I got to do what he says, even if I don't agree with it. That's exactly what you want from a player. You want your player to be like, yeah, I may not agree with the boss, but they're the boss. Like, people are just getting angry because they want to be angry at Lukaku. You know, he scored in the last two games. He's spoken with Tuchel about how his role is, and he started the last two games, and he scored the last two games. If he plays against Liverpool, which he should, he has a pretty good chance of scoring against them too. Like, I mean, the alternative, if you bench Lukaku against Liverpool, you're basically saying to me the title race isn't important to you. And I, I think Tuchel and Lukaku have already dealt with this whole issue, and the only thing that surprised Lukaku the surprise Tuchel is that the interview happened in the first place. Cause I believe they've already talked about everything that was said in the interview. So that's, I'm going to end my rant there and let someone else speak. That, the best thing I'm going to say is 
You would not be a world-class player what your sort if you were not starting games regularly and you were not unhappy. Because let's be let's be honest. Players, even, even Mourinho said it, players love you when you're playing them regularly. When you're not, they hate you. It's normal. Chelsea has about seven players fighting for three spots. Of course, players are going to be unhappy. That's, that's, not, that's not newsworthy. If, if, if Lukaku went to an interview and came out and said, and he was asked, you know, how are you feeling about the situation? And he said, oh, I'm perfectly happy. As long as I'm getting paid, you know, everything is fine. There would be a problem. We would all be suspicious of what's going on because that's not normal. So him being unhappy about not starting, that makes a lot of sense. What, you know, as, as of yesterday, I felt it was just uh, an, an avenue for people to, you know, have a go at Lukaku. And then today, more quotes came out and I saw the thing about, you know, him talking about the wrong time to leave Inter and many people talking about how, he, he, about him trying to repair the relationship with Inter fans. And I, I saw somewhere where he said, apparently that, you know, he left Inter because they didn't offer him a new contract or something along those lines. None of that makes sense to me. Because when he came, I remember I was, I was, I was clamoring for Haaland. That's public knowledge. And what many people told me was, you know, Lukaku's connection to the club, how he loves the club and all of that. And I said, in the long run, those things won't win you games. If you are getting Lukaku, get him because of what he's going to do for you on the pitch, not because of any, anything he has done or has not done in the past. That's, that's neither here nor there. And, you know, I was shouted down, you know, all of that and all of that. The problem now is he said he came, he, he accepted to, to come to Chelsea because, of, because it was Chelsea. His agents came out and said the same thing. In fact, his agent wrote a long essay on how, you know, Lukaku wouldn't have moved if it wasn't Chelsea. It was his dream and all of that. And now Lukaku is talking about leaving Inter because of how Inter treated him. So which is it? As far as I'm concerned, it can't be both. You can't leave Inter because of how they treated you and at the same time join Chelsea because of how much you were loved. Because Inter fans really did love him. I mean, he brought them... He brought, he brought the Scudetto back to, to, to Inter after 10 years. So that's, that's quite special to them. So they really did love him. So if they loved him, and he said he only left because it was Chelsea, and I guess that makes sense to many people because, you know, he left, he was at Chelsea, he, he didn't quite work out, he left. He, there's the video, the documentary about him saying, you know, he wants to come back and all of that. And then he came back. So no one really was surprised when he left Inter for Chelsea. But for him to now paint it as, oh, it was Inter that pushed me out, or it was, it was because of what Inter did to me. I think he's just trying to sit on the fence. I think he's trying, he's, I think he's talking from all sides of his mouth. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no shame in admitting, there's no shame in admitting you, you, you came to Chelsea because it was your dream move. Don't now come out and try to still have the fans of Inter in your heart. That's what football is about. Players move, players change teams. It's not an issue. There's no, there's no need to try to repair the, 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 the relationship with the Inter fans if he feels that relationship is broken. That's my only issue with, 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 with the whole interview, really. I don't think anything, any other thing there is newsworthy. Baka is a big club. Bayern is a big club. Real Madrid is a big club. Every player, top player, world-class player, French player in League Two, wants to play for Real Madrid and all those big clubs. 
So none of that is really what bringing out to the headlines for. But the contradicting comments from Lukaku are just what makes me feel it was just a bad idea. The whole interview that's that's just the that's just the takeaway from this. It was just a bad idea. No one he didn't get very good advice or either that or he didn't take the advice he was given. One of the two. Well, and I think that you know you you like raise this interesting duality of well, if it's his dream move, then. How does that coincide with he only moved because he ran out of a contract situation that couldn't be solved um, in Inter? How can those two things be true at the same time? And I think that they can be, you know, Inter, and I guess here's kind of my interpretation why. Um, so there's a lot that goes on that he talks about with these quotes. It's not just the, the what we were talking about here with the contract and the dream move to Chelsea. You know, he also talks about how he always thinks about Inter. He always would like to return. He doesn't want to go back and be this old, you know, shell of himself player and basically just doing a, you know, uh, a final lap around at, at Inter as a retirement year. Um, and I, so, and I think when you take all of these things in line, what it means is that, yeah, Chelsea could still be his dream move, right? That could still be a move that he really down deep wanted to do because you didn't realize he's 28 years old. The fact that he's 20 years old, he is right in his the actual prime of his career. Last year is when he hit the highest levels that he's ever hit in, his, in throughout his entire career at both country and club level. So I, I think that's when you take that together and say he wanted to make that dream move to Chelsea right now and at the prime of his career, at the peak of his powers. But that what he built there at Inter... And he signed, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a four to five year deal with us. So that would put him 32 to 33 when that deal expires. And that's assuming he sees out the duration of that in four to five year contract. You know, most players don't run down and then just leave on a free. Um, so with that said, he could still very well be here at his dream move at the peak of his powers, doing the most that he can to live out that dream at Chelsea like he is doing right now. But yet at the end of the day, know that he wants to go back to the place that really was special to him, not because it was the dream, but it's because of what happened there and just how he, as a player, left England, left Manchester United, went to went to enter with all of this sort of narrative against him that he, you know, he doesn't have a first touch. His his technical ability is not good enough to be a great hold-up play. He's just a flat track bully. You know, he's just he just goes out there and he's just bigger, stronger, faster. And he has no real skill. You heard all of these things about Romelu Lukaku. And but ever since he got with Antonio Conte, that's all Conte worked with a lot. He would spend hours after the training sessions working with Lukaku. Um, so specifically what he did, one thing that he would do is he would line up Lukaku and um, and Ranocchia, their their center back. Um, they would line those two up. And he would do this for hours where he would just have Lukaku trying to hold off uh, the center back. He'd play the ball and the, the object was to get beat him to the ball or hold it up one or the other. Um, so that's all he did. So my point with all of this is he, he spent this really, really formative time at Inter Milan. And with that formative experience, it really was able to help him shed all of these negatives and criticisms and just overall narratives that were negative about his game you know, a lot more cons being discussed about him as opposed to pros prior to him being Inter Milan. So I think that going to that, having that form of experience, this really hard work, this graft with Conte, because you could see that too with him and Conte as player manager. They had this very, very close relationship. Um, 
I think all of that made him have just this memory and this nostalgia that he'll never probably repeat anywhere else. That doesn't mean that his dream still isn't Chelsea. That means that he has some other type of dream or nostalgia for Inter. And the thing is this, he can return at the end of this 45-year contract and he can live that back with Inter because he's only going to be 32 to 33. And players in Serie A right now are crushing it at older ages. You know, most of the better players there for a little bit with, you know, Insigne, you had Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, you have Edin Dzeko, you have Zlatan, you have Giroud. You have all of these older strikers that are still highly successful. You have Chiro Immobile. I mean, he's he's a little bit on the, uh, on the you know, not young side of the argument. Um, you have all of these older players that are still doing so well in Serie A. So there's absolutely no reason to think that the fact that he wants to return to Inter Milan someday means that he is ready to leave today. I mean, I think he could easily see out his contract and go to Inter and still in Syria the way it's currently is be completely fine and still have a very successful time at Inter. Go ahead, yeah, oh, go ahead and get in on this. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I I was listening to what you're saying and I I'm not I'm not talking about his comments about going back to Inter. I'm talking about his comments about leaving Inter because of how Inter treated him. I'm talking about this comment. The, yeah, but the they, they did have like a, they had like a, a really bad financial situation due to COVID they and did, also exactly. just ownership issues. And, and that's por- partly what forced their hand to both shed their three highest assets other than Nico Barella. I mean, they shed Conte, they shed Hakimi and they shed Lukaku. Um, and that kind of funded the stability to be there. But sorry, I mean, that's, so I don't know the specifics on the contract. but know that was sort of just kind of the murky background of what was going on financially with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And from what you said, it seems I don't see anywhere, I don't see any way Inter has treated Lukaku badly. I don't, see, I don't see any way, you know, because Inter was in a situation. They're a football club. A football club runs on money. You know, we can't pretend that this is football. They needed to sell players. Chelsea came with an offer. He left. There is no. It's not. He doesn't have to repair the the. the because as far as I'm concerned, fans always want what they want when they want it. If their favorite player leaves, they are going to be pissed. They are going to be angry. Talk less of a player that brings back the title after 10 years. That's perfectly normal. But he, he, can't, he, can't, he can't say, I came to Chelsea because of, of the love I have for the club, keeping Chelsea fans on his side, and then say, oh, I left Inter because you know they didn't offer me a new contract. It's Inter's fault. And then protecting himself from the Inter fans. I'm not saying expose yourself to hate, to hate from the Inter fans. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying how they feel about you is not important because you don't play for them anymore. And that is just the truth of the matter. That's the fact. I, I, I think it's... I think it's... Inter didn't do anything wrong. You can't, he can't have expected Inter to extend his contract or to give him a new contract with the financial situation they had. They needed liquid cash. They needed to make money. I mean, Hakimi, Hakimi was sold. Lukaku was sold. And I think there was someone else too that they sold. Either, either Barella, I'm not sure if, if Barella was sold. But they had to sell a lot of players and it was clear. Barella wasn't sold. It was clear that they had to sell players and they did. So Lukaku coming out to say, oh, it, it was Inter's fault. It was how Inter treated me. I don't think that's true. I think he came to Chelsea because he wanted to come to Chelsea. So own it is what I'm saying. Own your decision to come to Chelsea because you wanted to come to Chelsea. Don't put it on Inter because that has nothing to do with Inter. That that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I mean, I, and I see what you're saying there a little bit more. I mean, I guess that's kind of where I was going with it was just that it, 
it, it, kind of in full context with the contract situation, how that happened, you know, the fact that it still had this dream and kind of the opportunity presented itself, you know, they went ahead and, and, and made that happen and come to Chelsea. I think so when you really get into some of the quotes, though, you know, here, you know, I'm just looking here at, at Fab's, Fabrizio's profile and some of the things that he's tweeted. Um, you know, so we talked about this, like he wants to return to Inter Milan. Um, I guess that we can kind of talk about right now, this is the part that might relate more directly to, let's talk about the, the Chelsea fan aspect of it. You know, so he said, and these are the quotes on Fabrizio Romano's tweets um, that he has translated into English. Um, and he is saying, I'm in a, and this is Lukaku speaking, saying, I'm in a moment in which I believe the manager can make me play more, but I respect his choices. I just have to keep working and wait for my moment. Tuchel and I are trying to find a tactical system where we can find each other, a way to help the team because the situation, referring to the Premier League table, is a bit complicated. He made his choice. I keep working. At a certain at a certain point, I'll speak with Tuchel and we will see the situation. And then you get, and this, the next tweet that Fab has goes on to talk about his love to return to Inter Milan, saying, I'm always thinking about Milano, Milano, Milano. Inter fans are the best fans in the world. I left the city and the best moment of my career was at Inter. I am in love with Italy. I have Inter in my heart. So I think when you like, when you, and that's sort of what I was getting at when you read that final quote is that that experience Inter was an incredibly unique, nostalgic, formative one for him. And it really cemented his legacy to what it is. So I have no problem with him saying that I love Inter and it was a great place for me because I became this world beating striker, you know, top three striker in the world. Uh, and won everything and had this unique relationship and shut all of these people up. Of course, you're going to look back at, yeah, that was a really fun place to play. I think so. I, I don't understand why fans like put yourself as a player, as a, as a fan. If you were a player, think about that. I don't I don't feel like you're you'd be out of line to have those emotions and to just publicly say them. But the issue and I think this is where Chelsea fans are upset is with his comments about Chelsea and how he's not happy here. and how he doesn't like the situation and that he doesn't like how he's being used and that he feels he's not being used in a position in a system that is best suited to the talents that he offers. And <clears throat> I have to, you know, initially say this, it sounds a lot of like Tuchel and Lukaku are butting heads tactically. But my thing is this, where when Lukaku was recruited, were tactics not, ever discussed about how, how he was going to be played by Tuchel because I mean, I, I find it, I don't see a whole lot of what Tuchel is doing with his striker this year being drastically different um, than what he did with Giroud last year, whenever Lukaku plays. So we haven't, it's not like we haven't seen this in Tuchel's arsenal in terms of how he'll use a striker. So I just, for the life of me, can't believe that that conversation never took place and that's why I find the, the, the tactical comments about the system and all that. That's what I find the most strange. Travis, go ahead and get it. I saw you trying. You got something to say. Go yeah. ahead. So, first of all, Giroud didn't play all that much under Tuchel. And Tuchel's never really used a target man anywhere. You know, at PSG, Cavani ended up leaving because he didn't really have a need for a player like that. He's always used, like, these players like Aubameyang who can get in behind and, you know, go wide and all that. But at Inter, Lukaku definitely became more of that kind of player rather than a target man. Not that he was ever really one before, but, you know, he, he definitely was able to stretch play, get wide, all that other stuff. And he does that stuff for Belgium too. 
But I think the thing to keep in mind is Matt Wall said to Gwen Lukaku spoke somewhere around the Austin Villa game about how he's used. And he started against Austin Villa. He started against um, uh, who do we just play? Brighton. And he scored against both. So you remember this interview came three weeks ago when Lukaku was fit but not playing. So, you know, this is already a problem that's been solved. Like, there, there's not an issue here. It's already been solved by Tuchel and Lukaku. And Tuchel agreed with whatever Lukaku had to say or, you know, Lukaku came to what, whatever agreement they came to. It's already been – they've already come to it. So all this nonsense about, you know, he's not happy. Yeah, he wouldn't have been happy back then because he wasn't playing. And there wasn't really a good reason for it. And now, whatever they've come to a conclusion about, he's playing and he's scoring. There's not an issue here. The only issue is that the interview happened and whatever was said in the interview, maybe Tuchel knew about, but he didn't know about the interview itself. And that's that's really the only issue. So, you know, I, I guess to go off of that, what you're saying, I think that's exactly right. Like the <laughs> the problem has already been solved. I and mean, that's what's kind of laughable. Like the actual problems that he was citing were obvious. And it wasn't just if if we had so many different podcasting and content creators and fan people and Chelsea Twitter, everybody was saying, like, will you stop using Lukaku as a damn target, man? Like everybody saw it. So, I mean, and it was, it was ubiquitous throughout the fan base. Like everybody saw the same damn thing, which is why do you not utilize his ability to, to be a little bit more, you know, when you saw him at Inter, he was good when he got the ball and would just drive right at people, uh, especially in and around the box. Like you'd get the ball, make a cut, drive across the box and then just fire a shot in. I mean, it wasn't like it in Inter, they were just sitting there pinging crosses to him left, right and center trying to, you know, him versus four defenders trying to put the ball in the net. Uh, that wasn't going on. So the fact that we were trying to screw around with that made no sense. And I think that Lukaku had to feel that way. Lukaku, and then not only Lukaku feeling frustration with how he's being used, but Tuchel had to probably have been frustrated with what he was seeing in his, in his utilization of Lukaku as well. So the fact that the, these comments have become public like you said, they've already been figured out that the, the comments in terms of when they were actually happening a month ago made sense, but now they make sense. Like, well, yeah, we all saw the same thing. They had this conversation before this even hit the media. What's, what's the issue here? But I mean, <clears throat> I think, unfortunately, I don't know if it's that simple because when you look at, you know, how Tuchel responds today, he says, you know, let's be honest. I don't like it. I don't like it referring to the interview because it brings noise we don't need. Uh, it's easy to take lines out of context. Of course, I don't like it. It's noise. We don't need it. And it does not help. We will talk with Lukaku openly behind closed doors. I'm surprised because I don't see him unhappy. The opposite. We, we, we here can take the time to try to understand what is going on with him. It does not reflect the daily attitude. Um, it would have been loud either way, regardless of timing. If you're such a big player like Lukaku, he surely knows what kind of value it is or it has when he speaks out. So, like, I mean, there's obviously still like frustration from, from Tuchel that this was even said. So although like Travis, I think I, I hear what you're saying where, and I agree 
that the actual bulk of the issue has been solved. Tuchel is still pissed, it sounds like, or at least upset. I mean, Ola, what do you think about like kind of Tuchel's like displeased or you know, kind of frustration with these comments coming out, even though like the actual comments of what Lukaku was saying was the issue have now been resolved and we have seen that already. So how how do you really feel like with that? Uh, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a there's so many things about this that one way look uh, appear this way and then there's another context that makes it look the opposite but then something else happens and it's just nothing about this is clear whatsoever so what do, the, what do you th- the problem is is it i that's why i mentioned the it it's it messy because there's a kind of mess you would make that when you solve the problem that caused the mess it's still difficult to clean up the rest of it as far as i'm concerned I understand why Tukul is pissed because, or, or rather, I, I think Tukul has a reason to be pissed because Lukaku came in, he scored in his first two games, I think it was his first two games, he didn't score again. We all admitted it was because he wasn't getting chances. At some point, it was clear that Lukaku's movement was not really helping anybody and we're not helping him. Nobody was helping each other. We also agreed that the more they play, the more these things will sort themselves out. The problem is the media created a, an issue with Lukaku not scoring because it was, oh, he bought him for 100 million. Why is he not scoring? Who made these decisions? You know? And then he got injured. I, I remember Tuku changing the system and then he got injured. The, the match was supposed to implement it. He got injured and then he was out for however long he was out for. And then he came back. And when he came back, I remember Tuku saying, Lukaku may think he's ready, but... The, the intensity of the Premier League is different. And Tuku would know that. As far as I'm concerned, Tuku, or rather Lukaku, expressing his concerns to the press was extremely unnecessary. And I say that because while he's expected to be unhappy, you don't go, you don't go to the press until it has become an actual issue. You don't go to the press until you can, you can say that, you know, at this point, I still think I should be starting. He was just coming off injury. No player has come off injury and just started starting games like that. Even Kovacic was, was eased in. There is no player. Ben Chilwell was given 10, 15 minutes cameos before he started games. And then he started games and the whole, you know, everywhere was on fire. He was scoring goals. We're winning games. We're battering Norwich and Leicester and all of them. Tuko knows exactly what he's doing. And Lukaku going to, to, to the press to express, you know, I know he's changing the system. All that, all that is unnecessary. Again, I, I should, I should, I should mention. I don't know the question he was asked really, for him to give that response. But as far as I'm concerned, even talking about your playing time at that point was unnecessary because he thought he was fit and he should have been starting. Lukaku thought maybe not yet. And why there are there may have been system, there may have been tactical reasons for him not starting him yet. Sukul is well within his rights to bench a player for tactical reasons. Every, every top manager will say that you can bench anyone two, three games. After the fifth game, you need to talk to them, especially if they are a, if they are a high-caliber player, if they are a player that you know everyone expects to start often, if they are a big player in the club. So a lineup coming out and you not saying your name in it doesn't really mean anything. If it repeats itself continuously, repeats itself again, then there's a problem. Lukaku was just coming off injury. Everyone knows that when Lukaku is fit, he starts. Everyone knows that. Not just because of his price tag. 
But because he was an extremely important asset we bought because we needed a striker. We needed him. We went to we went to Dortmund. Dortmund made it clear that their their conditions they were not going to change. We removed our face from from Dortmund and we, we went to players that were achievable. We had to play 100 million for Lukaku because we needed to buy Lukaku. We needed him, and then we got him. So why would we get Lukaku, and then for some reason we we'll feel oh he's fit he can play, but let's not play him because you know we feel for whatever reason. If Tuko wasn't playing Lukaku when Lukaku was coming off injury, it's probably because he thought he wasn't fit yet, trying to sort out the tactical system he was going to put in it. Because let's not forget, as soon as Lukaku got injured, we, we switched back to a 3-4-3. We couldn't play a 3-5-2 anymore because we didn't, you know, the whole point of moving to a 3-5-2 was because of Lukaku. And when, when he got injured, we moved back to a 3-4-3. When he came back from injury, football doesn't just, you know, it's not... It's not a flash drive that you plug into, that you plug into a computer and then you just load up the tactics and then here we go. So he, he, he had to change it. He had to... Damn, I wish it was that easy. Right? He had to put some things in place to make sure that we, we seamlessly or as seamlessly as possible move back to a 3-5-2. A, a it's different things expected from the wing back, the central midfielders, the forwards, even the centre-backs, there's different things expected from them in different systems. So, that interview and those comments were extremely unnecessary. That's one. Two, the thing of Lukaku's position and the formation is playing and the system that doesn't suit him, as far as I'm concerned, is a non-issue. There is, there is no forward that has played in his preferred position for, what, nine games straight? In fact, the only player who has played at center forward, which is his actual position for every time he has played, is Lukaku. So now we have arguments of where Harvard should play, whether it should be a force line, whether it should be a center forward, whether it should be an attacking midfielder. Some people think he's a central midfielder. Mason Mount, the same thing. Ziyech is being played at left wing. I still don't understand why. Mount is being played at right wing. Uh, Saul is being played at, at, at left wing back. You know, Otsunodo has been played at right wing. Right Saul wing also has gotten a run at striker. That worked well. Exactly. So it's 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 everybody is being is is being moved around to adjust because let's not forget Chuku came into this team and met this forward. He could have done like Pep and gone. I don't need any. I don't want any of these guys. I want Usman Dembele. I want Kylian Mbappe. I want this guy. I want this guy. The rest of them, I don't care what you do with them. He could have done that. All right, so you know, breaking down a lot of a lot of the issues that have gone on, and you know, all us talking about how players in, in Tuchel's system are routinely played out of position, and that was true elsewhere too of Tomas Tuchel, from what I understand, and like kind of what I heard about him was that you know you might expect some weirdness with how how and where he's going to play players. Um, did you have something to say, Travis? Or no, I was just oh, okay. Nodding. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think that's something to be expected. But regardless, all of this is just set off of it. essentially, right? There was a lot of frustration and there's a lot of anger in the fan base after the, you know, the most recent results um, that have gone on. And I think a, a lot of that is just simply due to the fact that, 
you know, the results have suffered, the performances have suffered, you know, we're getting out of the title race. There's a lot of frustration in the fan base right now. This interview comes out and essentially it's like a 55 gallon, like drum of gasoline being dropped on like a smoldering building. You know, it's just, it's just incendiary. It's basically just a giant bomb that's going off. And in, as such fans are getting really upset. And, you know, so I'm going to, you know, as part of this to give an idea, then we're going to discuss you know, kind of what we're hearing and seeing from the fan base and what we, what our overall emotions are on the situation are. Um, I, I am r- literally randomly reading, just scrolling right through a Twitter timeline. So nobody's being like singled out here. Um, I'm just reading it as I see it, you know, one tweet it, and I'm not going to say who's tweeting what, you know, one tweet here says, Literally, how does he, Lukaku, come back from this? Am I being dramatic? You know, some more, um, you know, there's like a picture here of Timo Werner, somebody saying this man deserves a lot more respect. Uh, You know, um, what was I going to say? You know, we've got some more here. This is Kenna. Um, He was saying, <laughs> we had him on the podcast before. He said, when Ukaku hears booze next game, he won't know if it's from Liverpool or Chelsea fans. One stadium united. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, here's another tweet. Every player has the right they want, they can and should express their feelings, but in no way should you come to Chelsea as our most expensive signing, our hope for a good striker. And after three months crying that you want to go back, Lukaku effed it for himself in Chelsea. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, you know, we've not been the same since John Terry left, uh, wouldn't be getting this crap every year and players pulling stunts like Lukaku. If we had like a more of a leadership personality, no league titles since JT left, not a coincidence. So, and actually that's, that, that is a tweet that's getting a little more of a trend that I think is something that's maybe worth talking about is the fact that we, we've had this like player power problem for so long and we haven't really won premier league titles. Um, But, you know, you get the idea here of what I'm getting at there. There's just a lot of vitriol. There's a lot of Timo Werner, you know, um, stuff going on. There's a lot of people who just think it's time to move on from Lukaku, that these are just no way justified that it's always club over player. He's got to go, you know, he, he can't ever recover from this. What do you guys think about this fan vitriol? Because I, I have some very complex feelings on this. Um, I wanted to hear what you guys think first. You can consistently beg for Diego Costa to come back. You can get over what Lukaku said. Like, I mean, that's just it at the end of it. How's he going to come back from this? He's going to score goals. If he scores against Liverpool, are people that are mad at him now not going to celebrate? No, they're going to be jumping all around like they normally do, and they're not going to care who scores it. They're not going to go, oh, well, Lukaku should get out of the club. No, that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. You know, the whole thing about John Terry, I get it. We haven't had a Premier League title since then. But, you know, obviously Lukaku didn't do this the right way. But sometimes leaders have to speak up. So, you know, he spoke up to Tuchel. He didn't do it in the right way, but he spoke up. And you know what else leaders have to do? Listen. Tuchel listened. We have good leaders. You know, it's not a John Terry thing, and he's back at the club now. So it's not like he can't just walk over and talk to Lukaku again. And it's not like Terry hasn't done the same thing. You know, I remember Andres Villas-Boas. I remember Rafa Benitez. Terry wasn't nice to them. 
Perry wasn't going into interviews and talking about how great they were. No, he was doing what Lukaku just did. Like, like I mentioned earlier, you cannot be mad at Lukaku. You cannot be truly mad at him without being hypocritical on some level. How, how does Lukaku come back from this? The fans are not going to remember this in three weeks. Come on. That's the, Chelsea, fans are, Chelsea fans are this way. Something happens. It is the end of the world. Everything should end now. Let's kill ourselves. This is madness. It is never going to go away. And the next moment, I'll win the Champions League anyway. So, at the end of the day, it is... I mean, let's, let's take last season. We lost to Arsenal, then we lost to Aston Villa. And at some point, we lost, somewhere in there, we lost to Leicester City in the Africa final. And we were so sure that we are going to get battered by City. And what happens the following week? We win the Champions League. So as far as I'm concerned, this is just, it's just part for the cause. That said, I think about the leadership thing, while I agree that leaders have to speak up, especially in awkward times, especially in uncomfortable times, they do have to speak up. I think a part of being a leader too is taking responsibility. And I unfortunately don't think Lukaku is taking responsibility for his inter move, for his Chelsea move rather. I think he's trying to push it to inter, push it to, you know, he's trying to make it look as if, oh, it's not my fault. I had nothing to do with this. You cannot move from a club if you don't want to move from a club. It's not possible. You can't tell me you had you had no hand in the move. That's not possible. You can't push everything on your agent either. You wanted to leave um, uh, Inter. We know Lukaku is our highest paid player. We know what is getting paid now is not what was getting paid at Inter. We are not angry about these things. We don't talk about wages whenever I accept those who want to talk about wages when we're talking about players. I don't care how much Lukaku is getting paid. I knew Lukaku was going to be our highest paid player because we made it a public spectacle of going after a striker. So whichever striker we got, knew we're desperate. The other striker we got knew we're desperate. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's... it's. I mean, I'm not advocating for Lukaku to be our next captain. But I agree that, you know, having these conversations is difficult. Speaking out, especially to the press, is always something that is going to come with a lot of backlash. And he must have known that. And the fact that he knew that and still went ahead to do it meant he was ready for the consequences. And that is, you know... That's that's leadership. That has a, 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 a tinge of leadership to it, or rather, that's the hallmark of leadership. I should just say it. that's leadership right there. But there are still some parts of it that are that don't quite sit right with me. I think the fans are reacting the way they are because many people wanted Lukaku at Chelsea because of his his bond with Chelsea, his link with Chelsea, how he left, and how they wanted him to come back and finish it and drag us kicking and screaming to a league title. And then to hear comments about, you know, me, um, Inter Milan fans being the best in the world. Let's be honest, Chelsea fans are not the best in the world. We know that. Even our players can't lie about that, so I don't expect them to. But Chelsea fans are not the best in the world. I get that. But at the same time, hearing him talk about how, you know, he came to Chelsea because he decided to leave because of how Inter treated him, it now feels as if, you know, as if... His move to Chelsea was more a spite to Inter than, than for Chelsea. That's an overreaction, but I basically I understand why the, the fans are feeling the way they do. I think they'll be fine. I think I don't think Lukaku meant any malice by doing what he did. He was expressing himself. And when we express ourselves, Jordan Peterson says to speak, you risk offending people. So whatever it is he said, he was going to get someone irritated anyway. That's not as much of a problem as it is. I just think 
Chelsea is a ripe soil for Chelsea is a ripe soil for this kind of thing. You know, we have a fan base that reacts. We have big accounts who are ready to jump on issues like this very quickly. We have a board that is very decisive. So whenever anything happens, the next logical the next logical headline will be how many months left does a manager have? How many how many games left does big what does X manager have? It's just right for this kind of thing. And being able to handle this with a clear head, which Tukul has shown he can handle, is the way we are going to get out of it. How do we move on from this? Don't pretend as if the world is burning down. That's how we move on from this. And Tukul has that under control. One more thing really quick. Yeah, from, go ahead. From one of Matt Law's articles this morning. Let, let me just read a quote from it. The interview forced Chelsea into crisis management mode on Thursday night in an effort to try to stop Lukaku making himself a target for his latest set of supporters. So Chelsea, who he disrespected in this interview, is trying to find ways to defend him from the fans. That says way more about the fans and their reaction to these kind of things than it does about what Lukaku said. Yeah. No, that that's that's a great indictment right there, Travis, that, of the entire situation with the fan outrage. I mean, it is absolute outrage right now. Um, and most part, there, there are some voices of reason. There's people that are mitigating things. There are people that are looking at things in a more full context. But there are a lot of people right now in the timeline that are just absolutely pure, angry, emotional vitriol over the entire situation. And, you know, and I had some of that yesterday myself as the news was breaking, but then I had a really good exchange. Um, uh, it, was, it was Christopher Ankhtrade, I think was this, uh, was who it was. But if you look at our exchanges, you can find that on Twitter, um, where he was kind of translating a little bit more of that. And he, he speaks Italian. I don't speak Italian. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of just taking the advice people that speak a language I don't speak. And, you know, it kind of downplayed it and it kind of downplayed my my uh, emotional reaction to the situation. And then by the time I'd seen the full comments and everything, I was like, yeah, this is really not a it's really not as nearly as big of a deal. We thought it was. It happened almost a m- over a month ago. It's what, what what's the deal here? So it's kind of where I was at with it. And right, Travis, that's great, though, with the fact that the club is going into crisis management to protect Lukaku is very. Uh, indicative of where their feelings on the matter are, right? We're not. Why would they spend efforts and money and time on protecting an asset that they, if they didn't want to keep that asset, you know, because they could easily cut bait right now and make or sell what they, you know, bought him for and just chalk it up to a loss. Um, in terms of amateurized value, it'd still be a loss because of the, the years remaining on his contract and how that works for the books. Um but yeah, I think overall, that's that's the most clear thing here. So my question is then, why do you think the fans, you know, even if you, I, I guarantee if you go on the timeline right now and you say, hey, this is what I, you know, you these quotes by Matt Wall really make it seem like the fact that the club's not really all that pissed. And then people are still going to, are still going to not care. and They're still going to be angry. So I guess like my question is, can Lukaku, you know, even if he scores goals, will that be enough to overcome? Is this going to be something that, that people think about the rest of the time if he's at Chelsea? Because that's what some people also are, are starting to posit. I don't think this is something that personally affects him. I think that if he goes out here and scores a hat trick against Liverpool and says, you know, I'm happy to be here. Let's go win the Premier League title. This is all, literally will be over with on Sunday. 
But that's just me. What do you guys think? I mean, I think a better question is if he comes out and says, like, yeah, that was a dumb interview. I shouldn't have done it. Are people going to forgive him? Like, honestly, I think people were just looking for a reason to be mad at Lukaku. You know, they've been doing that since the summer. He's not home. Well, and people have already started the we need to get rid of Lukaku from the team. Like, we've already had that about a month ago start up that, oh, uh, he screws up the fluidity of our attackers who – the only attacker that can score goals regardless of fluidity is Lukaku, but don't get me started on the fluidity of attack, all that nonsense. It's just, it's just people using a bunch of non-contextual terms that mean little to nothing in the end, but sorry, I, I'm not going to go on any more yeah. of a tangent here, there. We can yeah, do that I mean, later. Yeah. Goals per 90. No one beats Lukaku on our team right now. Mount has the exact same, but he's played more games. And, I mean, that's how the per 90 is going to shake it out. But both him and Lukaku have .54 goals per game. You know, if you're a striker, your job is to score goals. That That's just the end of it. It's like saying a defender and talking about their passing stats. Well, that's nice. But if you can't defend, what is the point? Like, I mean, it just comes down to that, really. Yeah, uh, you, you said if, if he comes out and apologizes, will the fans, will it go away? I think those who are angry, like many have already said, want to be angry. I think generally, because of how reactionary we are, we, we see every issue as, oh my God, this is, this is bad. This is really, really bad. And it's not that serious. He's a striker. We, we got him for 97 million. He wasn't starting games. He's not happy. Many people were saying he should be starting games. He felt he should be starting games. That's completely normal. If he scores against Liverpool, no one is going to remember this. I'm going to quote Moreno again. Moreno says, you know, he says, I judge my success based on winning the next game. Because fans don't remember what he did last year. They don't remember what he did last month. They don't remember what he did last two months. If you, if you, when Chelsea was losing, when Chelsea was drawing with Brighton, I went on the timeline and I saw people talking about how, you know, Tukul is this, Tukul is that. Why is Tukul doing this? Why is Tukul making us this way? I mean, yes, Tukul just decided, do you know what? I'm going to make some players have COVID in key positions that I need to achieve my aims. Yes, I'll do that. I'm also going to injure certain players. That, that's exactly right. You know, many, some people have actually turned this into Tukul's fault. And you wonder how can people even do that? But you know, it's it's just a fan base. You can't put anything past them. As far as I'm concerned, um, Lukaku just needs goals because let's not forget part of the frustration is he hasn't even been scoring anyway. So why is he talking in, to the press? That's part of the frustration. He hasn't been scoring anyway. So why is he talking to the press? He just needs goals, and that's how it is with every striker. When a striker doesn't score goals, we see how it was with Werner. When a striker doesn't score goals. Everything they do comes under even more scrutiny. And at some point, it becomes... Resentment begins to build in the fan base. Irritation sets in. And they say something to the press. It's like, well, keep your mouth shut and go and score goals, my friend. And, you know, it's just an overreaction. He has five league goals. I thought it was more, actually. <laughs> but he has five league goals. And he has been out for quite a while. And this is someone that arrived in October. He arrived at the beginning of the season. So the more he plays, the more he's going to the more he's going to come around. I think the talk of the system is playing in and the, the discrepancies between his roles, I think that's just real. That is nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Because the thing that got us interested in Lukaku is back to goal play. He can't now come to Chelsea off of 
picking our interest, which is back to goal play, and then say, I'm not a back to goal striker. He is a back to goal striker. He can also run in behind, he can run the channels. He's a complete striker. Whatever it is we need him to do, he will do. It's up to him to decide in every game what he needs to apply. Because the top strikers make decisions on the spot. It's not, you know, I'm sure that the strikers have the fewest instructions in the team. They go by what they see. They play by, you know, game states and situations. They see space here, they run into there. They see someone getting the ball, they run in behind. They see that their, their team is finding it difficult to penetrate. They stay and act as a board. I think Lukaku can do everything. I, I just think a lot of people are putting more responsibility on Tuku than they, than they need to. Tuku doesn't need to tell Lukaku what to do at every point in the game. Lukaku is a 28-year-old world-class striker. He's going to figure that out by himself. He knows where to be at every point in the game. He just needs the players, he and the players, to recognize when you have the ball, this is where I want it, when I have the bodies where I want you to be when you have the bodies where I'm going to be. All that is going to come with time. But like I said, like I, I tweeted the other day, well, I won't go into that because I think we'll go into that. But like I said, when there's no consistency in the in the front line, Lukaku plays with Osnodoy today, tomorrow he plays with Ziyech, next tomorrow is Havert. It's very difficult to build chemistry when players are not playing together often. That is something that, unfortunately, we can't do anything about because we have too many players playing in the same, in fighting for the same position. So that's going to happen. But the more he plays, the more he's he's an he's a very intelligent striker. Clearly, he don't score as much as many goals as he scores in his career for West Brom, Everton, Inter. He has scored with a wide spectrum of clubs. He has scored with Belgium, getting supplied by KDB and Hazard. He has scored for Everton. He has scored for Inter, winning the league. So there's nothing we need is we need from a striker that we can't get from him. He's going to be fine. Chelsea fans will be fine. They just need some. They need to blow up some steam. They'll be we all just right. need. We just need some goals from Lukaku and some wins, and nobody will care. And everything will be back to what you. It's kind of like what you were saying with you know we we have this tendency, um, especially on the online portion of the fan base, to basically every piece of in any type of slightly inflammatory news becomes full-blown crisis you know and i i do fear that you know if it within the fan base if we go and we get our ass kicked against liverpool on sunday and it's just not even close uh yeah it's gonna get it's gonna it's not gonna be a good time um then there's gonna be some serious questions i think uh, that people will start to ask rightly or wrongly they're gonna get asked um and you know that that kind of actually really segues well into the next segment which is we have some fan questions that we're gonna do so We've pretty much covered the Lukaku situation fully, um, sort of a microcosm of the club. You know, things are not great, but not as bad as they seem. But then maybe they are worse in a larger context. You know, we did just lose uh, some more starting wingbacks, Chile done for the year, Reese done for the year. Um, it's not looking good with just Alonzo at wingback right now. And let's be honest. I, I, it's a lonely band over here. It's a, it's a one-man band for being the Alonzo fan club these days. But uh, uh, even I can admit he's past. He's past his prime. Um, the only the only way he'll sustain his powers now is through all of the hate that he gets from the fan base. Um, I'm convinced that that's what powers him to survive every transfer window. Um, so anyway, I'm going to just get to it uh, with Dan Hill. First question comes in from him. He asks, <laughs> was it part of the plan to have two Travises on the on the podcast? 
what is the plural of Travis? Um, I'd say uh, the plan was to have Travis on the podcast, but I don't know if the plan was to have a podcast with two Travises, if that makes if that makes any sense. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, but uh, uh, no, just that I like the idea <laughs> of Travi being the yeah, plural. Travi, I was going to yeah. say Travi. Like like octopi or whatever. <laughs> I, I think that's yeah, that's what I'd go. Travi, Travi or T squared, one or the other. Or I guess we already say T squared with Travis Tyler. So um all right. So getting to the football related questions, he asks, what moves would you make in January? Um, so I'll I'll start my move I would immediately make, and this was probably not what I would have said a few uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but you got to move for a wing back. Like we don't have a choice unless we're just going to switch to a, a system. That's not what Tuchel has been playing the entire time. He's been at Chelsea and he's going to switch mid season and adopt tactics. I don't see any of that happening. So I'm just going to be very straightforward about that. So we got to go get some wing backs. I don't care if it's somebody on loan, uh, and then goes back. I don't care if it's a buy option for somebody that is a backup, uh, long-term because let's face it, Alonzo long-term is not going to be here as a backup anyway. Uh, as for Quetta, long-term is not going to be here. He's probably not even going to be here after, after May of this, uh, of this year or this upcoming year in 2022. So that's where I'm at. Go get a, go get a wing back. I don't really, at this point, uh, Dinier, anybody will work. Uh, anybody that has proven, uh, pedigree, um, whether club international or both at this point, anybody isn't, and, and it's except a backup role when, when Chile and Reese are back. That's all. That's my only, it's all I got to say for what you get. I don't know about you guys. What do you do? I think we need to sign anyone that we can get done quickly. And that has a pulse. Yeah. I mean, we, we need bodies. That That's basically what it's coming down to. And yep. we don't need them at the end of the month. We can't spend a whole month negotiating the things because we are playing Liverpool, City, and Spurs three times. We we can't wait for signings. Like we need signings in the door right away. So like yeah, we could legitimately be like 14 points off the title in like three weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, like, we we cannot yeah. mess around right now. Yeah. So I mean, I don't like the idea of like Jules Kunde's release calls, but that makes that greases the wheel real quick. Yeah. Just go ahead and pay it. Get him in. We're gonna need center backs anyway. Oh gosh! And when they're all leaving, you know, I don't know who thought this was a great idea to sell off Tamori, Mark Gui, and you know every other center back we seem to have last summer, and then we're losing and, the same amount of players for free the next year. Yeah, He's we had just like, terrible plan. We had like ten center backs on the roster at the start of the summer, and and we're about to be down to like two, Silva yeah, like, and Shallow, and like. 38-year-old Silva and Trevor Chalava. That's all, that's what we're going to be down to. But And this goes back to, like, when we had Joe Tweedy on the pod, you know. I mean, he he said it. I mean, what was probably – I can't remember how long ago that discussion was. It's been quite a while. But, you know, he kind of mentioned, hey, there's an impending center back crisis that nobody is starting to notice. Uh, and he was spot on. I mean, here we are, and we're, we're literally looking down the barrel of having two first-team center backs that I would trust on the roster, not including Malangsar. Because I think he's being used as a – he was a buy – he was basically a Barkley buy. We're going to buy him at this low cost and sell him at a profit, and that's literally what he is. I think it was just a a buy low. It was literally a low-risk, only reward buy from a financial aspect, and they, I don't think the club could give a shit what Barkley does on the pitch because he wasn't bought for pitch reasons, in my opinion, but that's just me. 
Yeah, I mean, just re- really anyone we can get in quickly. I mean, we sold as many center backs as we're about to lose. So, you know, there's room for Kunde. There's room for any center back we can get with a release clause. Just pay it, bring them in. We'll worry about how good they are later. Yep. Uh, if we can get Lucas Digne in real quick, that's fine. Bring him in on loan. I don't care. Just whoever we can get in quickly. Like if we need to, if we can get Sergio Des quickly, I don't think he's a good defender at all. But we need that warm body. Like that's just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Ola, what do you what uh, do you do? Who do you bring? What do you, what do you do in this January window, if anything? Nikola Milankovic. But I, I know I know we need center backs. I more importantly though, we need we absolutely need wing backs. We have only one fit wing back. And I know, you know, Tupul is a master at pushing players around, but I'm thinking if we can we can move um ask the to right wing back if we get a center back in. So that's one way of solving that. Juskunde will be perfect because he can play right back. He can also play center back. So maybe he can also play wing back. I don't know. But we can either get a right wing back in or we can get a center back in and move Aspilicueta to wing back. We also need Lucas Dean because we have only one fit wing back and that is the only wing back that we have for that position. So even, even still, we still need another left wing back. Uh, I don't think we need any forwards. I've said that several times. I've written articles on it. I'm tired of talking about it. I don't think we need any forwards. I think the we already have a selection headache every single match day. At, exactly, and and you know what? We need to add to that selection headache more forwards. Yeah, let's we just do need it. more, just a little bit more forward. We don't have enough yet. I don't think we need forwards. I think we need central midfielders. I think we need. Uh, is Kovacic injured? I don't know. But I, 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 know I can't he was keep up of... with it anymore. Ola, I'm gonna I, be honest. Yeah, I, I seriously, between everything, I don't even know. I don't even. That's why I don't even mess around with like trying to worry about the lineup is right now because it's like throwing darts in some ways. I know, I know. He was taken off in the last month. I can't remember whether it was for injury problems. I hope it wasn't because I'm writing some elevens that have Kovacic in it, and I don't want to have to change it. But other than yeah. that, I think, I think um, Kovacic is. No, I don't think Kovacic is injured. I think all our central midfielders are fit as of right now. But we, we know what we just came back from. And if we go into January and this next round of games, we have chancing it with Kante and Loftus-Cheek and Jorginho and Kovacic, hoping that they all stay fit, we'll be getting trouble that we so richly deserve. I think, yes, centre-back, wing-backs and central midfielders. But like Travis mentioned, I think it's extremely important that we don't waste time hacking on prices. We have to overpay. We, we, put, in our, we put ourselves in a situation where, where we have to overpay. And, and I know... We also take know, forever with our transfers. Like we wait to the last exactly. moment so many times. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know Marina is not going to overpay for any player, and that may be our downfall this particular window. We, we pride ourselves in our ability to negotiate and browbeat anyone into making any deal she wants. But I think the world is watching us and they know we're desperate. They know we're in the situation that we're in. I think we should just take whatever value, whatever price anyone has ever asked for a player and just add some to it and pay it. Because as it is now, if we don't get to cool players in January, it, it opens tomorrow, the transfer window opens tomorrow. If we don't get players in as soon as possible, we this, this January could break our season. And by the time we're getting deals in by January 31, it will just be to see out 
our third place run or fourth place run as the case may be. I don't like the idea of Arsenal coming to meet us where we are. I don't like that idea at all. But as it stands, we might be playing with fire if we decide to go into transfers the way we do it. I know Harvard took three months to complete. Lukaku was about two weeks or, or three weeks. We need we need players in as soon as possible. Whoever it is we're identifying, I don't need to like the player. I would, I would prefer to like the player, but I don't need to like the player. Tuku just needs to approve, and we need to get deals done. I think Milankovic, um, Kunde, Lucas Dean, because Lucas Dean apparently has fallen out with Everton, so it, it, it's, it's like it's, they are begging us to, to get Lucas Dean. And maybe a Chiamini or you know, whoever it is we get at, at Central Midfield. But we need players in general. Yeah, we kind of just need bodies at this point, but I don't really know what we're going to do, but we need to get some wingbacks in. Um, moving along here. Uh, so I'm going to go to Jordan's next question, or this is from Jordan Cohen, a uh, friend of the podcast as well. Um, and he asks, can Chelsea realistically compete next year if they lose Rudy, Aspi, and AC? Um, that's the first part of his question. The second part is, will the inevitable system change and leadership gap be easy enough to overcome or are we looking at 23-24 for competing for the Premier League? So I guess the first part we'll do first. Can they realistically compete next year if we lose Rudy, Aspi, and AC? My answer is it's going to be tough, um, but it really just depends on what our recruitment is. Because as it stands, yeah, if we lose those people and we don't really replace much, uh, it's going to be really, really difficult for us. And I don't think that we could realistically compete but if we're really smart with what we do with that, um, you know, we go get Jules Kwande, we maybe we go get another center back. I, I know Delict has been thrown around a little bit right now, given Uventus's situation and pending their potential relegation to Serie B due to financial breaches um, and basically fraud um, that's going on within the Uventus club right now. Um, and for any listeners not aware, Uventus have been basically uh, investigated. <clears throat> I don't know who it's by, but they they basically have been accused of more financial wrongdoing. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, anyway, uh, going you know from that, I think that it just really that that question is dependent upon who we bring in. Um, because if we bring in the right targets for the right things, then I, I don't see why we can't compete. Uh, but it's gonna be tough. Um, that's so. I guess that's my answer. It's a very uh, yeah, but answer. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it, right? It depends on who we get in and. You know, whether we go back four or stay back three, you know, it depends on a whole lot of things. Uh, I think it's really hard to buy good center backs. Like, there, there just aren't that many good center backs in the market anywhere right now. 80 million um, pound Harry Maguire's the best of them all. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the standard, right? Like, 80 million for, for Slabhead. Like, it, you're, you're just going to have to do really good scouting to and have an idea of what you want this team to look like and I think we have more of an idea of what we want to look like than we'll be able to actually scout players for it so you know it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see more academy guys coming through at center back just because I think it's very unrealistic to buy more than two starting center backs in a window or, e- or even in a calendar year, it's probably unrealistic. So, you know, it's just going to depend on you know, who we can actually bring in and how they work in the Premier League. 
and you know work with their teammates in general. Yeah, I I agree that. I think what I agree with is that there are not many star center backs, and a lot of times um, people are looking for star center backs. Rudiger wasn't the star center back when we bought him. Christensen wasn't the star center back, but a system was created that made these players look a lot better than they looked in other systems. And now we feel that losing Rudiger and Christensen is going to be a downfall of us. I think there are very, there are very good center backs in the market. I think you just have to look and you just have to know what you're looking for. Nikola Milenkovic is an example. He plays for Fiorentina. He's tall. He's everything you would want in a centre-back. He plays in the Serie A. I don't know how anyone would translate to the Premier League. And it doesn't matter. But I know that players have come to the Premier League and have done well. Also, players have come to the Premier League and have failed. I mean, Manchester United bought um, Maguire from the Premier League. And I don't think they are too happy with their purchase. So, I think the... The only fear is overpaying for, for players because as it stands, everyone is seeing the situation. The Rudiger and Christensen saga is public, so everyone knows why I need a centre-back. So it's going to be difficult for us to have any leverage going into any negotiation table. And that's the other problem is that we need to get deals done very quickly. As for the question, I think we will challenge without Rudiger and Christensen. I've said several times that I don't think replacing these players is as difficult as we think. It's probably not as easy as I'm thinking, but I don't think it's easy. I think we just need to know what it is we are looking for. Besides, we don't need a, a left-footed centre-back anyway, and many people don't like Malansa. So I, I think we just need to know what it is we are looking for. I think Delit is being chased as a star centre-back, not really as a good one. I don't know. Delit is a very good is a very good player. I just feel the the talk around the transfer is going to be something in the range of a 60, 65 million deal. And I think that's quite a lot for David. But he's a very young player, so I wouldn't be surprised. I think David has been unlucky at, at Juventus. Uh, yeah, I think we'll be able to challenge. But like you like you say, if we lose them and we don't replace them, like we lost some centre-backs in the past and didn't replace them, and we have this situation, if we lose them and don't replace them, I'd replace them well because you know we can't just get any, just anybody in to replace the ones who have gone. So it's all very dependent, but it's not going to be easy losing two center backs. It's not going to be easy because they already know the system. All right, and I'll try to we maybe get through this second part of the question too, where Jordan asks like about you know a system change possibility, leadership gaps. Is that going to be enough for us to overcome, or are we like long term looking at like a 2023, 2024? Premier League title challenge. And I'm going to say, you know, I, I think this is really just going to be dependent upon what happens to other people, because I think whenever Pep inevitably leaves Man City and he will leave, I mean, it's already been discussed that he's considering, I think, in the next several years, stepping down. Um, you know, if he was to step down after next year and maybe Klopp, it, it really just depends on what's going to happen to Klopp and Pep at, at those respective clubs. Um, with with uh, with Liverpool and City, and I think the reason being is that you know they they've established a, a different model to what really was successful for about 15 years in world football, which was this you know chop and change, get people in, win, you know basically find pragmatic ways. They basically said, no, 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 we're building a philosophy with this manager, and we're sticking with them for the long haul, and we're just going to ride this out. Um, and it's been really really successful for them, and it's it's worked better for them. Uh, than our current model has in the last 
probably, I mean, really in the last, other than Carlo, uh, not counting that in the last, you know, almost 10 seasons, we have, we've really not won as nearly as much as Man City. So you have to start to look at that, that pep effect uh, that they've had. <clears throat> the same goes to Liverpool too, right? The, when Klopp took over, they were in a bad situation. So I think we can uh, expect possibly to wait a little bit longer, but I think that's kind of, again, upon them. Sorry to take up a lot of time with that, with that guys. I apologize. I'll let you get in on that. Uh, as for the, the leadership gap, I think if we do lose Christensen and Rudiger, there'll be a gap, uh, more than just a leadership gap. And I mean, when we when we look at Van Dyke, I'm not comparing any center back in the world to Van Dyke, but I'm saying Van Dyke came into Liverpool as you know a new player, and his leadership qualities were immediately obvious for everyone to see. Were immediately obvious for everyone to see. It's very it's going to be very difficult for us to bridge the the leadership gap because Rudiger was a very vocal player on the pitch. And Christensen was was the cool head, was very cool head in the back line, maybe not as vocal as Rudiger. I think I am inclined to agree with Travis. I don't think the Premier League title has to be won. I don't, to win the Premier League, I don't think you have to be as good as, as City or Liverpool. I think you just have to be good enough to get past your own opponent. Because when you take our record against Liverpool and City, for instance, Liverpool, we drew against Liverpool. We lost to City, but just one nil. Granted, we lost, but it wasn't the hiding that many expected that it would be. I think consistency is more important. And Chelsea was showing consistency on the in the second half of last season, and they were showing the consistency this season until the injuries came in and COVID and players it was just stopped being available to us in key positions. So I think. I think we can win the league next season, but I, I don't think the... I think we have leaders in this squad. I think the the worry about leadership is is fair because as of right now, we don't have that many vocal people on the in the squad, but there are many ways to lead. Aspilicota doesn't lead by shouting at people, and as much as we want Aspilicota to shout at people and drag them by their hair when they are, when they are playing what we dream is nonsense, he can't do that. Not everyone can be like that. Again, the dressing room determines the kind of leader that it will have. The dressing room determines the kind of captain it will have. And Chelsea's dressing room is not is not filled with the kind of players that John Terry's dressing room was filled with. You know, so we've seen Alonso wear the armband several times, and it's not impossible for Alonso to wear the armband if if as Pluquetta goes. It's not important for Alonso to wear the, the armband if Aspilicueta goes, but I know many people will be angry with that. I will be fine with it for obvious reasons. But I think the the, the leadership worry is, a, is an understandable fear. I think it's an understandable fear, but I don't think it's as serious as us needing to wait to 2023, 2024. However, it is all completely dependent on how well we replace Ridley and Christmas. Completely. I mean, we we talked about this earlier with the whole John Terry, and we haven't won a Premier League since then thing. So, you know, whatever leadership gap there will be is probably not going to affect us as much as people are thinking. You know, if if Osby leaves, Jorginho's captain. You know, if Jorginho leaves next season, you know, maybe then things get weird. 
you know, it's probably not going to be Lukaku now. I'm just throwing that out there. But, uh, you know, maybe it is going to be time at that point for Mount or James to just be given the armband and run with it. I mean, at some point we need to establish, you know, who is the next, like, leadership cycle at Chelsea. And, you know, I don't think that was as clearly planned out after Terry left as it could have been. I mean, we had Cahill for, what, two years as captain, and then it was Osby, and that all made sense. And now we're in, like, this weird place where, you know, Georgino is vice captain, but, you know, he could leave in a year, and then we don't really have a plan after that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm totally fine with just picking out Mount or James and saying one of you is captain, the other is vice captain. You know, talk to Terry, talk to Lampard. They'll, they'll help you out and go from there. As for the title stuff, you know, this month is the month that's going to determine it. I mean, you mentioned earlier we could be, you know, miles off the off of City by the end of the month if things don't go well. Or we could, you know, catch up to them. You know, it, it's just up in the air right now how it happens. But, you know, we need to turn up against Liverpool – we, we need to basically beat Liverpool and City, no questions asked. If we don't beat both of them, there's not going to be a threat. And, you know, Spurs is going to be basically the same. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. It's, we got to win those matches. Um, going next, it's from that Chelsea podcast. So anybody who doesn't know, he does the audio editing for us as well. Nick does. Um, great guy, friend of the podcast as well. He has three questions, so I think we've got to try to be a little, more, a little bit more succinct with these. So first one is, he asks, has not having a break when all others except City have affected, or has not having a break when all others except City have had a break affected the integrity of the league? Uh, my quick question, my quick answer to that is, yes, it has. It's ridiculous that, you know, other teams are in very similar situations to Chelsea and they get, you know, given this uh, – uh, yeah, we'll postpone your game. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, the Newcastle-Southampton game just got postponed. So there's been, it's been like 19 or 18 games postponed now. How Chelsea's, like the Wolves game, how that was not one of them, I don't understand. So, yes, I do think the integrity of the league has been affected because I think the rules seem to be uh, – they're not being applied in a common sense, full context way, I think. I think they're being applied way, way too uh, strict to whatever – what they regulation they've written for is the threshold to postpone a match. It, it just doesn't seem like it's objectively being applied within all context things considered in a footballing environment where players have played nonstop pretty much since the night, since the 2019, 2020 season. So that's my, uh, that's my, that's my take on that. What do you guys think? So I believe if more than three games on a match day have been, postponed you should just postpone the match day that's not been happening they've just been picking and choosing that's whatever I say if you've already postponed three games just post there was one match day where we had like only three games out of the ten that's ridiculous just postpone the other three as for the Wolves game we made two changes from our starting lineup from the previous match and we didn't name a full bench but we could have the academy wasn't playing anymore at that point. We could have put academy players on it. The fact that we have terrible players on the bench, that is not enough reason to postpone them. Purely from a Chelsea point of view, because I understand it's not been consistent. If you only make two changes between the previous match and that Wolves match, 
and then you don't name a full bench, not because you can't name a full bench, but because for whatever reason you don't trust the other players, that's not enough reason to postpone the game. That's that's me. That being said, like you have to play these games at some point. Like you're gonna have to play them later. And you know, maybe we get a break now, but all you're doing is making that more complicated later. I mean, we we're gonna be gone for Club World Cup for a week in February. We're gonna come back and be thrown right into Champions League. You know, we we don't have the ability to, you know, play with our schedule a whole lot. The the only thing you were, would really get from postponing our games now would be we'd have a break now and we'd not have a break later. You know, I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but some teams have tons of games in hand. You know, they're going to be playing those games, you know, three, three games a week over and over. And not every squad is going to be able to handle that like maybe we could. I'd much rather, if possible, we just play the games as they're scheduled. You know, COVID is not the reason we've been in poor form. It's a contributing factor, but it's not the reason. Yeah, I, I largely agree with what you guys have said. I think the integrity, though the question says uh, many teams have had the rest except Manchester City. And it is Manchester City that is eight points clear. So really, what, what, what are we talking about here? At the end of the day, you know, it's, for me, it is, I agree, when a certain amount of games have been postponed, just postpone the whole thing, just cancel it. But at the same time, it creates a scheduling problem when you postpone and postpone and postpone and postpone. Then you have to find ways to fit it in between games. And those teams are going to still have the same problem because you don't want to play the game now because you say you don't have enough players. And then you have to play this same set of players will have to play maybe three games in one week or something like that, or three games in the space of five days or something like that. So it's not, it's not, it's probably not going to be that extreme, but I feel the rule, I think the rule is if you have 14 fit players, you play because it's 11 and three subs anyway. So if you have 14 fit players, you play. And it's a very straightforward rule. Now, I don't know how many, I don't know how many cases the other clubs had. I can imagine how many cases they say they had. I don't know whether they lied to get them to postpone it. I don't care. But as far as I'm concerned, like to go, like um, like Travis mentioned, if we did not change our starting lineup that much, it means we we we, we had players to play. And if we didn't fill our bench and we didn't fill our bench with academy debutants, then it's clear that we chose not to put those players on the bench, and we have we had enough options to bring up the bench to play. We can, at the same time, we cannot, I've said it before, we cannot on one hand say we have all this depth and then when we see other people, other players, the other players' matches, other clubs getting their matches postponed, we then say, oh, but look at our bench. I don't want to bring on Barkley. I don't want to bring on Malansa. Let, let's not, let, let them postpone the match because you either have depth or you don't. You're either part of the depth you have or you don't. And like like Travis mentioned, I agree. If you have pit players, you play. It's a very simple rule. If you say it's not been applied across board, I can't argue because I don't have the data. I don't know how, how many cases uh, Manchester United reported. I don't know how many injuries they reported. But as for whether it has affected the integrity of the league, I wouldn't say that because can we really say if all these matches were postponed, City wouldn't be eight points clear when they eventually played? 
can we really say this? Because we've watched Liverpool, they lost to Leicester. We've watched Liverpool draw with Brighton. We've watched Liverpool lose to West Ham. We've watched Chelsea and what they've been doing. City are the only ones that look untouched. They've scored 27 home league uh, first half goals this season and have considered only once. So they are going to be clear of the league anyway. And the whole point of the league table is, is, is to get the winner. I think, like Travis said, we're not in this position because of COVID. Injuries have played a part in it. COVID has, has played a part in it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's issues that we brought on ourselves by and large by how we performed on the pitch. So we can't say we didn't have enough players to beat Burnley. We can't say the players that would have helped us win Burnley were not playing due to COVID. We can't say the players that would have helped us beat Brighton were not playing due to COVID or injury. We should have players to, to get past Brighton. And many of the draws we've had this season are draws that should have been wins if we had made the right decisions at certain points or been more clinical here or created more there. So at the end of the day, it's really just, I think it's semantics. I don't know about affecting the integrity of the league because I know that rescheduling fixtures are extremely difficult. And then when you have to do it, considering other, other competitions and Chelsea having the Club World Cup Champions League. I mean, the Champions League already makes the shadows jump back because you have weekend games, you have midweek games. FA Cup comes in, League Cup comes in, Club World Cup comes in, and then you now have to put in Premier League games later. I just think it's, if you have 14 players, just play the match. It's it's a 38-game season. You're not going to, you're not going to come seven because you had some matches postponed or because you where you were allowed to play some matches you felt should have been postponed. You are, at the end of the day, you get what you deserve. That's just how I feel. And I guess it kind of builds to the next, you know, his next question uh, from Nick is, you know, should five subs be or have been introduced? Uh, he says, because to me, it's clear we're not looking after their welfare. And I, I agree with this. I think that five sh- subs should have been introduced. I think it's obvious why it should have been introduced. Um, it was introduced for tournaments in a pandemic. Why is it not introduced now that we're still in a pandemic and you have countries hitting record numbers throughout the entirety of this pandemic? for new cases now because of the Omicron outbreak, which seems to be fairly real resistant to any of the vaccines that have been developed. Um, I mean, I think when you add all these things together, you know, it's basically the Premier League now refusing the five subs. It's basically them telling us two plus two equals five at this point. You know, it, 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 they're telling us things that don't exist because th- this should be implemented. Why are why why is everybody else doing it and we're not? You know, or if we're trying to protect the assets of the Premier League, then why in the hell are they being run into the ground and we're not being given extra protections to help manage them? And that gets into probably what has become part of the issue now for Chelsea is overuse and lack of load management and having to play players that are still not fully recovered from injuries. And what do you know? They get injured. So, yes, I do think five subs should have been introduced because if this is the Premier League actually giving a crap about their assets and understanding that teams and players or how they bring in their revenue, then this should have been implemented before the season even started, regardless of what the newest news right now is with the COVID situation. It should have been implemented from the very beginning. That's all I'm going to say on it. My question is how many of the managers that were opposed to five subs still have a job right now? Because I don't imagine it's many of them. You know, I, 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 that'd be a great question to uh, get the data on. Well, I know, I know Chris Wilder was, running hard against five subs because he thought smaller clubs would be hurt by it and bigger clubs would be strengthened by it, which 
you know, I watched his Sheffield United. It didn't really matter how many subs he had at some point. He was going down. But the thing I have about it is, in any other league, the smaller clubs aren't disadvantaged by five subs. You know, there's, there's nothing that statistically shows that the bigger clubs are getting more points because they have more subs. Half the time, they don't even use them all. Beyond that, if I'm at a team like Sheffield United, who you might have the players to field an, an 11, and if any of them gets hurt, the drop-off in quality is so steep that you, you might as well not have anybody would you not want those players to be rotated in and out more through subs to spare them? You know, Chelsea's going to have depth no matter what. You know, we're in an injury crisis right now, and we're still able to bring in players that have a lot of Premier League experience. That's not going to be the case at teams like down at the bottom, like Norwich. You know, they don't have the luxury of their star player getting injured because they've been overplayed and bringing someone off the bench. They need to be doing that in games when they can to rest them up, to spare them. So, yeah, there, there's nothing that shows smaller teams are burdened by it. If anything, they'd be advantaged by it because they're not burning through the players they're relying on to stay up. You know, bigger teams are going to keep rotating. They're going to have the depth no matter what. And maybe in a few years that changes how benches look at the top. but Right now, there's no advantage that the bigger clubs are gaining over the smaller clubs. And all these managers arguing against it, I'm almost positive most of them have been fired because they haven't been able to rotate their teams because everyone's getting burnt out and they're all going down. Just a whole other issue here. Why is the League Cup back to a semifinal with two legs? Did anyone in the world want the Carabao Cup semifinal to have two legs in it? Like, th there's no point to it. There's a lot of weird things England does because they've always done them rather than whether it makes sense. You know, the, the five subs is one of those things. Carabao Cup going right back to a two-leg semifinal is one of those things. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, next year or the year after FA Cup replays are a thing again because they've always been a thing. It, it just makes no sense. I don't see... It's a very simple answer for me. More subs is always better than less subs. I don't understand how managers like Chris Wider are thinking about it. I don't get it. But especially in a time when COVID is a thing, players are getting burned out, you can almost predict players getting hamstring injuries before the match starts. On the, on the Slack channel, we, we were talking about them. We're talking about them resumes and hoping he won't get injured because he needed a rest. And he got injured. You can almost predict it at this point. Why wouldn't you want the option to have more players to be able to bring on? I don't understand it. It is, it is baffling to me. I, I've, I've thought about it in many different ways and I cannot understand it. No one can make the case to me that anybody has any special advantages over anyone else with because we all have the same amount of subs. If you are talking about oh bigger clubs will have better players to bring on and that's going to survive the smaller teams. Bigger clubs have better players to start. That already puts you at a disadvantage. So what are you going to do? You can't you can't level the playing field now because bigger clubs already have better players than you. That's why they are bigger clubs. 
bigger clubs already have, you know, the advantage in, in games. As far as I'm concerned, five subs lets you, it gives you tactical flexibility. You can change your tactics at any point in the game and not have to worry about, you know. Now, now if you want to change your tactics, whoever you have on the pitch will have to play another position. And if they can't play that position, well, it's just too bad because they are going to be exploited because it's the Premier League and teams are not stupid. So being able to bring on more subs is always better, especially now that there are injuries. I mean, they introduced the concussion sub, which is fantastic, but are we going to be hoping our players get concussion so that we can make extra changes? Because no, we need five subs. Most leagues are, are, are implementing five subs. I don't understand why the Premier League is still insisting it's always the Premier League, isn't it? It's always the Premier League. VAR will have problems. Five subs were the ones that will say no. I don't get it. The Champions League, we have five subs. And, and nobody is getting any special advantages. I get a chance to bring on an extra player to confuse you. You get a chance to bring on an extra player to confuse me. It's the, the, the player quality thing is, as far as I'm concerned, just what they already have better players than you. They get a chance to start 11 players that you can't start. So at the at the end of the day, you're already disadvantaged. If anything, five subs levels the playing field because top teams can can they have the luxury of buying players that can that have better stamina than most other players. They have the quality. They have the luxury of buying players that they can switch in and out. I mean, look at Manchester City with Jack Grealish. They had all that, and then they added Jack Grealish to it, and they didn't shed any any of them. So they, they just, when they don't want to play with Jack Reese, they just bring on Mares, they bring on Foden, they bring on Bernardo Silva. They don't have any problem. If they couldn't bring on Phil Foden or if they couldn't bring on Jack Grealish, they would still be a, a threat to the other team. They would still be a difficult task for, for the other team to overcome. So as far as I'm concerned, the whole argument against five subs is, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. It just doesn't make any sense to me because players are dropping like flies and games are not reducing either. So... I don't. I really don't know what what. Alcon is coming soon, and players are going to go, and then the players that are left there are going to only be available to three subs. It just doesn't make sense to me. All right, so we're gonna have to we'll speed it up here a little bit. Uh, next question that Nick was asking was how much do expectations change again if Reese is now out for a while? We do know that he's out for a while. He's out for probably the whole year with a hamstring tear. Very bad injury to suffer, especially for a player. You know, his profile that uses a lot of explosiveness and, and you know, he's a very, um, you know, as technically gifted as he can cross ball, but he's very, very athletic. So it's a tough injury for him. Uh, my simple answer to this is, is it affects the expectations a lot. I, I can't realistically expect uh, us to continue to challenge the title when probably our second or third most important player uh, this season is gone. Right. And uh, out of our probably top three to five most important players this year. We now have two of which are starting wingbacks that are those most important players who are gone probably the rest of the season. And we're going to replace uh, Reese James with uh, Azpilicueta, and we're going to have to replace now Chile for the long term uh, with Marcus Alonso. So, yeah, it, my, my expectations are we will get third place, and that's what I'm going to stick with. I don't think we can get much higher than that with this many uh, – these – uh, the not just the uh, the quantity of injuries we have, but the severity of them as well. So that's me. That's where I'm at. I, I my expectations are drastically adjusted, and I have been very bullish on the title odds 
up until these injuries. I read a thing yesterday saying we were on pace for 80 points or something like that, which isn't good enough for the title in any of the last 10 years or something like that. We need, we would need to win like 17 out of 19 games remaining and hope city slip up in the meantime to do it. Like, I mean, it's, it's possible, but it's extremely unlikely. Um, yeah. Possible and probable completely different things. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I also did the math for the absolute worst case scenario in January where Chelsea loses every match and all the rivals for top four win all their matches and we would still be third by a point. So I think third is where we're going to end up. How close we are to Liverpool and City, that's another question because in that same situation, we'd be like 20 points off City. We, we have to win Club World Cup just because we don't have it and I want it. Um, we should – you know, do well at the League Cup. We need to get past Conte's Spurs. But if we get to the final, realistically, we should be winning it. You know, there's no one really left that should stop us from that. And, you know, we haven't started FA Cup yet, but, you know, third third year running, we could make a final. And maybe this time we win it. So maybe it's unrealistic to say we'll win every trophy except Premier League and Champions League, I'll leave to the side for now just because of how how much that can all change throughout the competition. But, you know, we have silverware. We can still win. It's not going to be a bust of a season if we finish third. It's just going to be kind of disappointing given how December went. When we came into December and first again, and we kind of blew it in December again. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it's a, go ahead, Ola. The, 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 my expectations are not adjusted because of regime's injury. My expectations are adjusted because Manchester City are not slowing down. They're getting out of sight. We had regimes when they were getting out of sight. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not losing hope in the title because regime's is injured. Let's be honest. Regime's has played well this season. He has, he has been a, a player of the season contender. And there are many have tried to create the conversation between oh, Alexander Arnold and Rhys James. Let's just stop. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I was saying, I'm not, my expectations are adjusted, yes, but not because of Rhys James. I think we can hope for second. I'm going to make a bold statement and say, if we don't win the league, yes, there's still hope. We're going to come second. I think we can, uh, that's difficult to do when, you know, we can't create a big chance against Brighton. But, Liverpool, are, we've seen that Liverpool are not the powerhouse that we think they are. Yes, on their day, they are going to obliterate anything that comes in their way, that, that gets in their way. But, you know, the league is not one on your highs in the, in the season or, or your lows in the season. The league actually is decided by consistency. And at the end of the day, we have this, we're on the same point with Manchester with Liverpool, despite, you know, us not having a Van Dijk or a Mohamed Salah or a Sadimane or any of the players that we think we need from that team that we don't have. I've seen many compare our attack to Liverpool's attack. I've seen many compare our attack to his attack. I've seen many people talk about how we are, our attack doesn't behave like those attacks and why the reason why we won't win the league. We won the Champions League despite not having six attack. So it's fair to say that we just need to get results and wins. 
on the board. We don't need to yet to score 25 league goals. We just need to get wins on the board. I think we can come second, but I agree that our expectations should be adjusted. And the the way resumes factors into that is even with resumes in the team, the, the title was getting out of sight anyway. Now that he's out of the team, we're going to even struggle more. It's not, we can't be naive and say we're well, Chelsea, we'll overcome, we'll, we have to, we, we will struggle, we will definitely struggle because um, as the doesn't give, doesn't give us what resumes does, uh, Arsenal doesn't give us what resumes does, Policy doesn't give us what resumes does, adapt. Adapt, adapt, so you know it's yeah. So we got a few more. Uh, next one comes in from Luca Coley, and he's asking, uh, or Luca Foley, he's asking, uh, why do you think some of our supporters are so protective of our current squad and constantly question the need for new fresh arrivals? And it's kind of what we were hinting at with like the winger stuff. Uh, and then he goes on to say, especially when Tuchel has stated that he wants arrivals of the club, such as like Kwande, but supporters will insist that Chalaba is, is, is the option instead. So why can't we trust the manager in these situations? And it's kind of a great question because we hear a lot of, we need to back the manager, but then manager wants these targets and then everybody complains, well, that target will do this to that player. Um, so there's a lot of that in the fan base. So why, I, I think it's a complex question. And to answer my best brief way to answer that is why are they protected? Is there's almost like this hierarchy of players where we have like this, uh, you know, we have like the, the academy grad, which is definitely on a higher uh, priority for many people. Um, and understandably so in some ways, not understandably so in others. Uh, and then there's also, we have to have this homegrown, you know, whole, you know, there's this whole requirement for homegrown players. Uh, so that's probably part of it as well. Um, that kind of f- fulfills maybe a dual requirement sometimes. Um, but I think there's definitely a stratification of how players are prioritized based upon their background. If they've been purchased, there's a difference to them. If they're an academy, there's more of this, this longing or this yearning to have them come through the academy and be a first team player. So that I, that is kind of, I hate to be divisional with player, but that, that's really what I think I see the most with fans. And that's the best way I think I can answer your that's the most simplest way I can answer your question at the core of what I think is really going on. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is the player IFC problem that we have? Many people are protective of their players because they feel, oh, I've spent a lot of time talking about this player and hyping up this player. If the player doesn't do as well as I expect him to, or as well as many people think he should, it will reflect on me. And I've said several times that we're not our opinions. You can be wrong about the player. Players may not work out here. It doesn't make them bad players. I like Zuma. I still love Zuma. He's no longer here. I understand why he left. I like Ziet. He's not getting game time. He might want to leave somewhere at some point down the line. At the end of the day, we need to win as a club. We need competent people starting for us. Whether we like them or we don't like them, it's irrelevant. We need competent people starting for us. And if the players are competent and they're getting the job done, we shouldn't have any problem with it. It's a problem in this foundation. Yeah, it's kind of weird for me because it seems to me like people always want the signings over our own players. Um, Maybe that's a little different when we're talking about academy players, but it seems like any time a signing is mentioned, people are all, all over that. But uh, at the same time, back in the manager, Tuchel wanted Adama Traore, and the reaction to that was not great. But how how do you say, like, back the manager? Even even the reaction to getting Hakimi, like, probably undoubtedly – I mean, not even probably. He is undoubtedly top three wing back in the world, and people are like, 
well, no, 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 but, but, but Liv Rabinto. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's great. I get that. Liv, Tino has been amazing, but they kind of prove, you know, proves your point. Like we're targeting world-class players and people say, well, no, we, we have this player. It's a youth player and, and vice. And then a lot of that happens vice versa. So sorry to interrupt there. I just thought that was worth bringing up. Yeah. And I mean, that has to be part of the equation too, right? Like I wasn't against Hakimi because of Liv Rabinto. I was against him more because we already have Reese James and you know, you can't really have two young world-class players fighting for the same spot. And exactly. But, like, looking at our left-back situation, you know, Ian Monson's coming up. Do he's you sign good. a player long, long-term long knowing that if you sign someone long-term, he's probably gone? Like, that's the kind of things we need to be thinking of here. So, yeah, for me, it always seems like people are – if there's a signing, they want it, and they don't really care how it affects the current team – and maybe that does change a little bit around academy players, but you know the academy players are free. the The fact that Mount and James are in the team is why we have guys like Havertz and Ziyech in the team because we had the money for it. We didn't have to go out and buy a Bakayoko or a Ross Barkley. We just got them out of the academy and saved all that money, and we got better players out of it. So it's a win win, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's, I think that's a very subtle point there. Um, Jam uh, is asking, you know, what positions would you target in the January transfer window? We kind of already touched on that one. Um, just to reiterate, I'd go wing back and probably center back, and there is kind of that similar, you know, defensive or midfield uh, need that we have for well, the love of everything. Do not go target another attacker this window. Um, and then finally, we have a question coming in from Beth very transfer related as well said if you can only sign one player in January considering we have several problematic areas which player are you signing and why um I I think that given what I have heard right now um if if Teo Hernandez is an option for Milan go get him just go get that done great player I've watched Milan long enough know this guy would be great for us and he'd be suited well to the Premier League um uh and that's what I would do Granted, more realistic option. I'm I'm probably gonna go after somebody uh, like like Lucas Um You you got to get this wing back position solved, and I don't think a mid season tactical change away from what we've played the in, the entirety of Tuchel's uh, tenure at at Chelsea um, is gonna be the best suited option for us. And I just think that's the reality. We we may have to shift uh, formations and systems out of necessity because we just don't have enough people to play what we need to, what we want to play. Um, but I think that should be avoided at all costs. And that's where getting that wing back in comes from. Yeah. I, I would say buy center backs and center mids because it's going to be really hard to buy any kind of wing back. that's going to work for us long-term and we're going to need center backs and center mids soon anyway. And what, they're probably uh, easier to buy. Do you have any names for center back or center mid that you'd go for? I mean, I, I still say just trigger Kunde's release clause and be done with it. Uh, midfield, we're linked to uh, the guy from Monaco whose name I can't pronounce yet. Tuchemini or something like that? Yeah. Tuamini. Tuamini? Yeah, Tuamini. Okay. Yeah, Chua so, many. you know, if that's actually doable, bring him in. If it's – if we're talking like pie in the sky, don't worry about the money – I'm still on the Declan Rice train. Just do it. Um, but overall, I think it's going to be easier to get center mids and center backs right now 
And if we have to go four at the back and just play four center backs in the back line, I mean, Rudiger's basically a left back now anyway. Let's not pretend he's not. We can make do. It's not going to be as pretty as what we've been doing, but you know, it's probably going to be better looking than Hudson Odoi and Pulisic on wing back and just getting killed on counter. I think we, we should get Kunde. If we get Kunde, we can move Chaloba to midfield. We can move um, Asplopeta away from center back. I think we should get Kunde. It solves a lot of problems, really. And he has a release because we can just trade him. I think that would be a really good option if we go for center back is just, just go for a guy that we knew we almost signed, wanted to sign, and we can just pay a release clause and be done with it. Um, all right. Well, that, that wraps up uh, a very lengthy, but you know, great episode with you guys. Uh, good to be back. And hopefully we can get RJ back with us the next time uh, that we start up uh, another episode. Hopefully that is on the back of a win against Liverpool. Really get this season um, back on the rails, so to speak. So, all right, everybody, until next time, keep the blue flag flying high and looking forward to the next one.